I'm going to play Spotted Mushroom. I'll capture that. Oh. Right now? It says, it says it, yeah. You can use it at any time, yep. right? That's Flip the it over and play it Capture at any time. Capture a card from your opponent's Emberscape. Capture. Yep. Welcome to Witch Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, can our bold explorers find the elusive winter beast of legend hiding behind their microwave? We find out in Yeti in the House. Next, we set up devastating combos to gain the Ember Stones and defeat Ingdul in Amberia, Shroud of the Shadow Demon. And lastly, we put a little lumber in their teeth as we shove and skate toward the goal in Slapshot. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. The odds are forever in my favor. Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis. Odds can be rigorously defined by mathematics and yet be non-deterministic. Hi, I'm Joe Unfried. Never tell me the odds. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and life is a gamble at terrible odds. If it were a bet, you wouldn't take it. Our first game up this week is Yeti in the House, designed by Naotaka Shimamoto, published by Itten in 2018, number of players 2 and up, ages 6 and up, runtime 20 minutes. Okay, when we shine a light on this find, what were our first thoughts? Mike? This box is so tiny, how could it have an awesome game inside of it? Evan? If I roll 5 of them, do I get to shout out Yetsi? Ed? <laughs> All right, all right. Who let the Yeti in the house? Joe. I've never heard of a Yeti actually entering a house, except that time on that Scooby-Doo special. This entire game comes in a tiny matchbox. So tantalizing. What could possibly be inside to hold our interest? Evan, can you tell us? Well, inside the little box is a small rules page and four glossy white wooden pieces, a mountain range, a Yeti, and two Yeti footprints. Players are separated into two teams, a search squad and a yeti team. First, the search squad places the mountain range piece somewhere in a room in the house that will be the search point from which they will look for the yeti. Then they leave the room so the yeti team can place the yeti and two footprints in different hiding places at a distance from one another in the room. They will then photograph the yeti and blur it in the filter. They will show this to the search squad as a clue when they come back into the room to search for the Yeti. The goal of the Yeti team is to mislead the search squad into guessing a footprint location instead of the Yeti location, so picking similar looking backgrounds for the footprint and Yeti hiding locations will be a help. If the search squad guesses the Yeti location, they win. If they guess a footprint location instead, then the Yeti team wins. This has got to be the most minimalist game I've ever seen. It comes uh, in a matchbox. <laughs> it is literally yeah. a matchbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This game is so streamlined and so spare. Uh, and yet, I think a brilliant little game. Four little pieces held our interest for a significant amount of time and immediately made me want to do it all over again. It reminded me of a game I used to play as a child with my friends. We called it, I don't know if other people call it something different, but it was called Huckle Buckle Beanstalk. Do you ever play what? that? <laughs> in, in, which you would, in which you would have 
have objects that you would hide them in the room, but hidden in plain sight. And depending on the size of the objects would be worth a certain amount of points. Smaller ones would be worth a lot more points. If you could find them in a certain time limit, then you'd count up your points and see who wins. Definitely reminded me of that. So this was definitely a throwback game to my childhood. Wow, Huckle Buckle Beanstalk. I feel like, uh, is Evan 80 years old? It It sounds like something that was handed down from our grandparents. It was fun. We played it a lot when I was six, seven years old. So this isn't your grandpa's game, though, because they they took the smart move of integrating technology into a game to make it even smaller. We've seen that a couple times, but this one does a great job of it. You can blur the photo and make it almost look like those pictures of Bigfoot moving through the forest that are super blurry. Yep, so smartphone required, folks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The fact that it inspires creativity in the players is great. You have to get creative with how you're going to place the Yeti and the footprints and then creative in how you're going to take that picture. How you take the picture is so important. What exactly is the background going to look like? How can we mislead them into thinking this is the location of the footprint? So you have to place that footprint at a distance. You can't place it in the same area as the Yeti. That's part of the rules, which means you've got to find somewhere else in the room where you can match backgrounds pretty well. We played at Evans and he has a really nicely decorated house that's really uniform. So he had a lot of of similar colored like matchups in the house. So there was a lot of options of where to hide the thing. Your whole house matches itself. You guys, you guys, you guys decorated too well. You guys have analysis paralysis. Oh yeah. I want to guess that it is behind, it is somewhere like below armrest level, but beyond where- There's a way easier way to have said that. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, here is your Yeti. Yeah, that's right. We spent a lot of time just deciding which line it was. Like, was it his floor and baseboard line? Was that a line between his bookshelf and his wall? Because everything was gray and white. Which was perfectly appropriate for Yetis in the mountains. Oh, we totally planned it. We knew we'd be playing this game years later and said, (laughs) now's the payoff time. (laughs) Finally, all our hard work has come to fruition. (laughs) And now we can redecorate. <laughs> it's nice to see uh, that the game is good for players as young as six. It challenges your awareness instead of your accumulated knowledge. There's sort of a l- more level playing field than you usually have between you know six-year-olds and adults. Yeah, and it actually gives the kids a chance to interact with adults on kind of a peer level too, which is fun. Yeah. They might even be at an advantage since they play hide-and-seek more often. And they're shorter, so they can see <laughs> yeah, different yeah, yeah. angles on the room, too. Their perspective is different. Definitely. And they probably know how to operate their phone better. I couldn't figure out how to blur an image on my phone. <laughs> wow, we sound That's super old right now. How do I use this newfangled? What's this smart telegraph doing here? Aside from that, I'm also very intrigued by the prologue, that the Yeti has come down from the mountains, and he is now hiding in my house. And he doesn't want to be found, but wishes that someone would search for him. Could this actually be some sort of parable where the Yeti represents the playful elusiveness of enlightenment itself? Whoa, Joe. (laughs) Oh my gosh, all that came out of a matchbox? This game is made in Japan, so maybe he had some kind of different background to come up with that storyline. It is set in Japan, yet it doesn't use Japanese folklore 
it uses folklore from the Himalayas, which is often you know, referred to as maybe the closest place to heaven. That's interesting. Well, what I meant was the actual designer lives in Japan, so he might have a different perspective on the storytelling. That's true. Somehow, the designer did manage for me to capture that feel of, of simplicity and enlightenment. Did it bring you joy? <laughs> it brought me joy, but it also brought me contention because when we played the game, <laughs> we got in a bit of an argument about search point. So you're supposed to search from the mountain range. The search squad sets the mountain range, goes out of the room, comes back in, and from the search point of the mountain range location, you are expected to find the Yeti hiding place. And the instructions state that the hiding place needs to be visible from the search point. So we got in a bit of an argument as to what a search point means, what the definition of search point is. Well, I think me and Celeste focused on two different parts of it. She was focusing on the part where it said from the search point, and I was focusing on the next part of the rules, which say hide the Yeti in the area you can see from the search point. And that's one of the problems with having a tiny rule book. While it's great to get through the rules quickly, it can leave a little bit of vagueness in the understanding of the rules sometimes. So I got caught up in the term point, which to me always meant a single location in space. And it's a single unique location in space. Right. And so I thought of the mountain as that location and deliberately placed the mountain range when I was the search squad at waist height. Which meant that the which meant to me that the hiding place of the Yeti needed to be visible from that waist height angle. And so we got in a bit of a discussion when Mikey thought that the hiding location was reasonably visible and I thought it was not from that search point. So it left it a little bit vague as to whether or not the search point was a general area near the mountain or directly at or in front of the mountain. That's one of the problems with uh, rules that are tiny. <laughs> right. And maybe because I was in such a Zen place. <laughs> <laughs> it totally I, shattered your Zen uh, moment, right? Yes, I found the, distur the contention so disturbing. <laughs> yeah, it, that did not ruin the game for me. I, the weird part was we were on the same team. <laughs> yeah, we were on the same team. I got the argument. We were on the same team arguing whether we won or lost the round. I found that bizarre. <laughs> uh, it goes to show you, you know, we care more about the integrity of the game than we do about winning sometimes. And I guarantee you, Mike and I, when when enlightenment comes to Mike or I, we will find it in different ways. I guarantee <laughs> yep. you that. Yeah. We are not. Mike and I are not taking the same path to enlightenment. Often from opposite directions. <laughs> Okay, guys, light up the lanterns. It's time to dig up or bury Yeti in the house. Ed? Well, I found it to be basically hiding and go seek, but it's presented in a very clever way. I enjoyed playing it, and I think it'll be a decent light game for a small group. It's not quite one that I'm going to go seek and pull out to add to my own collection, so I'll bury it for other fine gamers to find it. Joe? Uh, I enjoyed playing this game. I enjoyed watching other people play this game. It's a game that is good for kids, less about strategy, more about awareness, and I had a lot of fun with it. I'm digging it up. Evan? It's just hard to bury a game when they make the whole thing the size of a matchbox. That alone's <laughs> worth the price. Dig it up. Mike? Any game that can get a group of people out of their seats discussing strategy as a team and using their technology to bring them together instead of separate them is a winner in my book. Dig this up. 
I passionately liked this game. I found it enjoyable in every aspect, even in the argument. Dig it up. You can find out more about this game and where to get it at their website, itten, I-T-T-E-N, hyphen games.com. If you have thoughts about Yeti in the house, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Amberia, Shroud of the Shadow Demon. Published by Paw Warrior Games in 2016, number of players 2 to 4, ages 11 and up, runtime 20 to 50 minutes. All right, when we brush the sands away from this find, what were our first thoughts? Mike? I love a good card duel. Bring it on. Evan? Amberia, where Ambien meets Syria. Ed? Oh, what's that shadow demon up to these days? Joe? I like the concept of the game having modes that change the rules of play and then change them back. And four pre-made decks, one for each element. Just pick one and start playing. Can't wait. But before Mike chooses the blue deck, surprise, surprise, Evan, tell us how it's played. The object is to collect the most ember stones. The ember stones are represented by cards in your collection pile. The center of your play area is your ember scape. During your turn, lay cards down in your Emberscape, playing out their effects. When you have placed five cards in your Emberscape, you can collect them into your collection pile as Ember Stones. Players can also use cards to change their mode each turn, which can change how cards will affect them. Each time a player collects their Emberscape, they can turn over one of their Arcane cards. Once a player has turned over their final Arcane card, the game ends, and the Ember Stone collection piles are tallied. The player with the most Ember Stones wins. Okay, so. Amberia! Amberia, the shadow demon arises. Face the shadow demon. (laughs) Okay. Something in my throat there. If you say it in an outrageous way, it's kind of fun to say. Is anyone else still wondering how the name of this game matters in the, in the game itself i, I don't know well, that i don't really have the connection other than it's color text and that's it i was kind of wondering that myself it is a little strange that there are four heroes who all want to kill the shadow demon but they all insist they have to do it on their own <laughs> you're right yeah you're right. No, no, that is that is hilarious I mean, it's, it's it's like the ghostbusters style of of, of demon <laughs> hunting you know it's like hey let's split the first thing let's all split up yeah, not only are they, they insisting on doing it themselves, they're busy hampering the other players. And the shadow demon actually doesn't come in to stop them at all. No, they're <laughs> they're just getting in each other's way. <laughs> the shadow demon literally sits there waiting for them to decide who's going to destroy it. The shadow demon's off wreaking havoc somewhere. I think that what the shadow demon did was subconsciously place these four heroes at odds with one another. Okay, Evan, skip your turn. Ah! Oh, the battle continues. <laughs> you don't got it. Basically, All right. Well, that was fun, Evan. My turn. <laughs> oh, God. There's no shadow demon, actually. It's all in their heads. <laughs> shadow demon of the mind. All right. Now on to the play of the game. I did really enjoy the four separate colored decks. And you just grab the color you want, representative of fire, earth, water and air but you grab a deck and you go and the decks are similar but slightly different from one another which i appreciated yeah i didn't see a need to separate them into the elemental trope 
They didn't really have much to do with the elements. Just an identifier. That's all it is. Were you guys uh, wielding elemental power? I don't remember wielding any elemental power. I don't recall that being in the explanations on the cards we played. What I enjoyed about this game is it was very simple. It was easy to understand and easy to pick up. Uh, Some of these card games with uh, unique effects on each card can be very complicated to get Mm -hmm. used to with complicated synergy effects and combo effects. This game advertises that some of the cards can be comboed with each other for powerful effects, but I found the combos easy to understand and quick to get a handle on, which I really appreciated. It was not, it did not feel complex. So first thing I'm going to do before my collection phase starts is use this, this card, five cards or your whole hand, if you have less than five and draw five. So now I'm going to collect it. Five fresh cards? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you. Yeah, muck that's your, before your, your collection phase. Face down, so I do. It was a sleeved card. Nice yeah, thing. I use my sleeved card. I there. love sleeved cards. Mike, you were going for one of those combinations when I played a card that had everybody shuffle your deck, <laughs> and Mike was like, "Ah, yeah, I know." I had the combo built up in my hand, and Evan all of a sudden just shuffled everything back in again. <laughs> and unbeknownst to him, that I was on the verge of playing like four cards in the same turn. <laughs> I had an, inc- I had a sense, I had an inkling. <laughs> As I watch the game being played, uh, I wouldn't suggest playing it in necessarily in a restaurant or on public transport. You need a bit more table space than with a lot of other card games. <laughs> yeah, each player has a layout in front of them of four cards up the side, five cards across the middle, their deck, their discard pile, and their collection pile. So it takes up a little space, not too bad. It felt a little like Netrunner in its different locations, which isn't a bad thing. I, I kind of like that. It makes me feel like I'm in charge of something. Your two locations weren't directly confrontational with each other. You could play cards on each other, but your location didn't have much to do with their location. That's right. But my favorite part of this game was definitely messing with other players. It was so <laughs> easy. It required no prep. It was just like, oh, look at this card that can totally mess up Mike right now. You know, <laughs> here, I'm changing Mike's mode right off the top, you know? Yeah. And oh, now I can attack him because he's no longer in protection mode. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. So you mentioned these modes. What are these modes? Well, protection mode is something where people can't target your cards for the most part. Using it in combination with just having attacked other people is great. It's like, (laughs) attack, attack, attack. Oh, now I'm in protection mode. You can't get me back. Yeah, Uh actually, you you change your mode first. So you start your turn off by going, I'm going to go into protection mode. Then everybody looks at you suspiciously. And then you viciously (laughs) attack somebody. (laughs) Each card can be used in multiple ways. You can just use it for its mode or you can use it for its play. Now, the other modes were attack mode, hasty mode, and greedy mode. Attack mode allowed you to collect cards from your emberscape as soon as it was full rather than waiting for the start of your game, start of your turn, which means in the middle of your turn, if you suddenly get up to five cards, you can collect them right away. Very handy because you don't have to sit through a bunch of other players taking a turn where they could mess with the number of cards in your emberscape. And then hasty mode. That made it so you only need to have three cards to to collect them. And then there was greedy mode. In greedy mode, you can draw two cards instead of just drawing one. Yeah, and you could run out of cards very easily in this game. So being able to draw two is very handy. The designers have really made this game easy to learn. There's a quick reference sheet that simplifies everything and doesn't resort to you know multiple pages or a tiny typeface. 
Although the color text, okay, is not age 40 and up friendly, it is super, (laughs) super tiny. I mean, I guess you could say it was nice that it wasn't in your way. (laughs) Well, or critical to the game. The rules were short and concise, but they could have been a little bit longer. Actually, you know, I think all the rules were there. It's just the writing of the rules wasn't the clearest. Perhaps a little bit more care to the rule book could have helped even more. The art in this game is okay. It is standard fantasy art. It does enough to accomplish the feel of the card. Uh, I, I think the layout of the card is very good. The mode is right at the top. The a value of the, the ember stone value of the card is right below that. Then the name, then the special effect. Mike, did it bother you that there was a minus points card oh my in each God. deck? Did that it bother you? It wasn't even a tiny minus points. It was minus 20 points. <laughs> I mean, we're talking queen of spades in, in spades here. You know, I mean, you're, you're going to get crushed. Well, the thing is, you have to get it into somebody else's deck and force them to play it into their collection pile. So it's not super easy to get it in there. And I actually won the game because somebody else hit you with a minus 20. Yeah, I who did. was that? Oh, yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how crippling that card is. Oh. Evan, you were just epically unlucky that you had no way to get it out of your Emberscape. That's true. I had mm-hmm. no options to get it out. It was played at exactly the right time. I mean, you could have actually switched to hasty mode and only put three cards into your Emberscape at a time and just left that one sitting there. But unfortunately, you had a one in four chance in your deck to draw that and you still didn't get your hands on it in time. (sighs) Next time. (laughs) (laughs) But that did make the difference. Evan would have won if that minus 20 had not gone into his deck. Oh, yeah. He eked it out by like five points, (laughs) even with his minus 20. So, uh, yeah. Kingmaker, king killer. How do do we describe? King King breaker. breaker. There you go. That's a good term. I like that. Okay, explorers, get the shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury. Amberia, Shroud of the Shadow Demon. Mike? It's got a decent amount of player interaction, some interesting card abilities. It went on a little long, but you know what? I want to see how it holds up after a few plays. For now, I'll dig it up. Evan? I think there's lots of replayability. And even though I got stuck with the minus card, I do like games where there are negatives that can be played. So go ahead and dig it up. Ed? Well, I didn't get a chance to play this game. I am looking forward to trying it out. Joe? Uh, Since I didn't play this game, I'm withholding judgment. But watching it being played, I really do like the flow. I liked it. It was fast. I know my kids could pick it up easily. Dig it up. Joe, where can you find it? The game can be bought at pawwarriorgames.com. The games in their online store can also be bought at Target, Barnes & Noble, and your friendly local gaming store. If you have thoughts about Imberia, Shroud of the Shadow Demon, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Slapshot, designed by Tom Dagliish and Lance Guterich, published by Columbia Games in 2011, originally published 1975. Number of players, 2 to 6, ages 8 and up, runtime 30 to 60 minutes. Okay, when we spotted this game on the horizon, what were our first thoughts? Mike? I see brutal caricatures of hockey players, but will this feel like a rough and tumble blood sport? Evan? If this game is half as fun as the 1977 movie of the same name, then I'm loving it. Ed? War! Hmm, what is that good for? Joe? (laughs) Get that stick in his side. Let him know you're there. (laughs) Yeah. 
As soon as I saw the exaggerated 70s era caricature cartoon art on the cover, I was worried. (laughs) But (laughs) before we see how it holds up, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. Slapshot is a wheeling, dealing game for hockey fans. Each player assumes the role of team manager. The object is to skillfully manage your team into the playoffs and then win the championship. During the regular season, you can improve your team with drafts and trades, but injuries can upset the best of plans. On a player's turn, they have three options, which they must do one of. Trade, draft, or play a game. When playing a game, each player arranges the order of his team and then compares each player in order. Higher-numbered players scores a goal, but goalies block scores and bruisers can cause injuries. Ultimately, your skill as manager determines if your team wins or loses. So it's all on you. (laughs) (laughs) Not on your players. No, No, not, not at all. So everybody played with the same deck of cards, right? We were just drawing cards from a single deck. And there was a board in the middle, which were which were the amount of goals scored. Is that right? Number of games you've won. Right. So so you're actually playing out the whole season. You play one game at a time. Um, and it has some interesting choices of when to either take your turn to make your team or try to make your team a little bit better or to challenge somebody. Yeah, it is interesting because as you're playing your as you play your team, let's say I get challenged by Joe to a game. Okay, so he's he's putting up cards, I'm putting up cards from my hand. I see that Joe has say a very strong hand. My next time around, I may want to instead of playing a game with someone or drawing from the community pile, I want to trade with Joe. I can force him to let me take at random one of the cards from his hand and I have to give back an equivalent player of the same type. So if I see Joe has a number 10, which is the highest value card, I want to take a chance and go grab his 10. Right. But you got to be careful because it's a random draw. If you draw one of his cards that matches a set of your cards that are all good, then you'll end up having to trade away one of your good cards for potentially a bad one in their hand. That's right. But if your hand stinks, then that's definitely a great way to go about it. You got to be really careful about letting people know the state of your deck because if it's terrible, people are going to want to challenge you. And if it's awesome, they're going to want to poach players out of your hand. Yeah. Isn't that right, Mike? Oh, yeah. I had a a great hand at one point. My lowest number was like seven. And everybody (laughs) saw me go up against someone and destroy them. And then the next four turns were people just poaching. Everyone poached your cards. (laughs) So you got the worst hand by the time the next game came around. Yeah, it was pretty rough. And I think another really cool thing in the game is the way the uh, the bruisers work. It's like, oh, I know you have a great team. So let me challenge you. Even though I might lose, I might take out two of your guys. Yeah, what a noble sacrifice. That yeah. happened to me a lot. <laughs> Challenge Ed. Challenge, Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Okay, ready? Kabam, you're injured. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see Evan's team strategy. What did you guys think of the art? You, you mean the 70s cartoonish, you know, almost Parker Brothers-ish kind of caricatures there? Yeah, caricature is definitely the right word for that kind of art. Yeah, and that that art was more common in the 70s, I think. Oh, very common in the 70s. It's a love-it-or-hate-it art style, and uh, I didn't love it. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was really flat. There was, like, no background on it to make you feel like, hey, maybe this is a hockey game. It was just a plain white background with some kind of guy dressed up in a pinstripe suit and a Tommy gun and a hockey stick. I mean, the artist playfully, irreverently 
wacky. Yeah, wacky. That's a really nice way to say it. <laughs> well, each of the cards actually had a, a slightly different color background by the type of player it was. And you had to keep those proportions the same in your deck. So everybody had one goalie, two defensemen, and then three forwards. So essentially the game is just war. You know, you arrange your hand, play it face down, and then each person who's in the match flips over their top card and just compares them. So a goalie will block anybody, so it's good to get your goalie out there when their best player is being flipped. And after that, there's pretty much no strategy into how you stack your cards until sudden death. Well, actually, I thought there was a fair amount of strategy, surprisingly, for a war game, where a where you put your goalie and if there's bruisers and trying to set up in such a way where you might be able to try to sneak your point in with somebody else that you know, might throw their best player. Yeah, and it was purely psychological between you and the other person. Like, hmm, is Joe going to put his best player in the front, or is he going to try to injure me thinking I'm going to put my best player up in the front? You know, everyone's got the same makeup of defensemen and goalies and so on, but you don't know how many bruisers they have, unless you're paying very close attention, yeah. Yeah, you can you can also sense in the player that they develop certain patterns in how they play their cards, and you may be able to use that to your advantage. I thought the game went on way too long, though. I mean, I know it's divided up into the number of games a hockey team might have during the regular season, but they should have just shortened it because doing this activity for that long felt really tedious. And then when you match that up with how long the end game is, too, on top (laughs) of it, with just half the players just sitting watching two people going head to head five times in a row... Ugh, it was too much of a slog for me. I didn't mind watching. In fact, that's one of the things I kind of liked about the game is even in your downtime, quote unquote, uh, you're watching the other games unfold between other players. And I, I I, thought it was interesting. I liked watching the other games. Yeah, it was interesting. And it also, I mean, if it wasn't the playoffs, it's a way to learn about other teams. If you paid attention to the other players, you were rewarded for that. So even when it wasn't your turn, you did have quite a bit to do. And It did feel to me a little bit like being a coach that would draft and watch other players on other teams and see who I could steal or get or how useful each player could be. (laughs) That's a a good observation, Celeste, for a non-sports loving person such as yourself. Yes, as I as I said at the end of playing this game, it was as fun for me as watching sports on television. (laughs) (laughs) Now I found that the rule that the challenged team starts with a free point in in the playoffs, it seemed to add a little extra suspense, even though that's sort of counterintuitive. And it did hurry it up a little bit, I think. It's supposed to represent the home team advantage. Is that what it was supposed to represent? Yeah. And, but I think from a mechanics point of view, it, it helped provide some balance because if you're challenging somebody, that means you think your deck is ready to challenge somebody. Right. And you're picking somebody who you think is going to be the weakest one, supposedly. Um, there are a couple of advanced rules for people who want to actually add some twist to the game. For example, you can set up a league schedule, so instead of it making a random who you play, you actually have to play each other player at least once. That's pretty cool. Another alternate rule is putting limits on the number of times you can draft or trade in a season. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Slapshot. Joe? This game screams beer and pretzels while also being able to accommodate a lot of players. Dig it up. Evan? I like the theme. The cartoon art was cartoony. The gameplay was fine, easy to understand, and I even liked watching the other players play, so dig it up. Mike? Even though this was slightly better than War, it was just as tedious for me, so I think I need to bury it. Ed? 
I'd also call it a decent bear and pretzel game with a nice silly hockey theme. There are just enough options here to give some fun and strategy to what's basically war. While I think a season just a bit longer than it needs to be, I'll dig it up for those days when a bit of silliness will do. I felt this game was just like watching sports on television, so bury it. Ed, where can you find the game? I've seen this game online and on Columbia's website. MSRP is about 25 bucks. You may find classic versions of the game at secondhand shops. If you have thoughts about Slapshot, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers! May all your modifiers go up by one. Remember to XB every day. Get that lumber in his teeth and let him know you're there! <laughs> <laughs>